0: Hello there juniors, this is Mr. Contreras and
1: Ms. Brunkhorst. and
0: we're here today to talk to you about the moral character and moral conscience of the human person.
1: We're going to start off by talking about something called the golden mean. This is an idea given to us by Aristotle, a philosopher, who says that the perfect demonstration of a virtue is not too much and not too little. So on one end of the spectrum, we've got a deficiency of that virtue, when you don't have enough of that virtue. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have an excess of that virtue, when you use it too much to a degree that's harmful. Aristotle says that that perfect balance is right in the middle. Not too much, not too little. Kind of like what Goldilocks would like.
0: Thank you, Ms. Bronkhorst. Speaking of Aristotle... Do you remember who was responsible for teaching Aristotle from the ancient Greek philosophers?
1: Mm, I think, was it Plato?
0: It was Plato. Good answer. Plato also uh, contributed to uh, Western thinking by um, highlighting certain virtues that every single strong leader within his society um, were able to demonstrate, and he called those the cardinal virtues. Amongst the cardinal virtues, one in particular stands out, and that's fortitude. If a person is able to have the virtue of fortitude, that means they are acting courageously in a way that is appropriate to that situation. So in spite of adversity, in in spite of insecurities that they might have, they are able to distribute justice and to do essentially the right thing. Mm -hmm. So for the next uh, couple of uh, minutes, we're going to be talking about what virtue of fortitude looks like as uh, a golden mean, as a deficiency, and as an excess.
1: Mm -hmm. We're going to start with a deficiency. Now, the person that we're going to talk about doesn't always demonstrate a deficiency of fortitude. In fact, he was very brave in his life and died for his faith. However, in this particular moment, Peter the Apostle was basically a coward. When Jesus was being crucified and was on his way up to the hill... People saw Peter and said, hey, this guy is associated with Jesus. This is a friend of Jesus. And Peter denied knowing Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. So in this moment, Peter was demonstrating a deficiency of fortitude. He wasn't being courageous and standing up for his friend and his faith.
0: Fantastic. Now we're going to look at the golden mean of uh, fortitude. And the person we're going to highlight is St. Oscar Romero. Oscar Romero was a Archbishop of San Salvador back in the late 70s, early 80s. And he was a man who spoke up for the poor. He demanded justice, and he called out the corrupt government for exploiting the poor in El Salvador. As a result of this, he knew that he was most likely going to be persecuted and maybe even killed for speaking up for the poor. In spite of that, he still used his voice to advocate and to push for uh, the teachings of Christ um, within all levels of society within El Salvador. And as we know, the results of his speaking out um, left him killed. Uh, He was assassinated in the middle of Mass.
1: Mm. Thank you, Mr. Contreras. You're welcome. We're also going to talk about someone who demonstrates an excess of fortitude, someone who is a little bit too brave to the degree of being maybe arrogant and kind of cocky. Uh, We're going to talk about Kanye West. He, we might remember, interrupted Taylor Swift at, uh, I can't remember, it was an award show, to say that Taylor did not deserve the award. Um, Everybody kind of knows him as a public figure who's a little bit full of himself, and recently, He said that 400 years of slavery was a choice. Now, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but you can't deny history, um, and that's a rather offensive thing to say.
0: Thank you, Ms. Bronkhorst. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to spend some time talking about the moral conscience Uh, Within the moral conscience, we have uh, different areas of our decision-making brain, and within our heart, that helps us come to what would be the best decision, or uh, the decision that we need to make, given the circumstances. Ms. Bronkhorst.
1: The very first element of our moral conscience, the one that we're born with, is the id. And this is... um, kind of that pleasure-seeking part of our brain that doesn't really think about consequences. That's just seeking something that's going to make it happy or satisfied in the moment. And when you're a baby, you're all id, and this is a good thing because if a baby's hungry or uncomfortable, it will cry and its parent or caretaker will give it what it needs in the moment. But as we get older, we need to learn to kind of temper the id because if we just went off of what was going to make us happy or satisfied in the moment, that could have some dangerous effects on us or the people around us. So an example that we thought of for the id is Cookie Monster from Sesame Street. He eats cookies all the time. He doesn't have any manners. He also has terrible grammar. He doesn't have any regard for the future or for his health and how all these cookies are going to have an impact on him. And when you think about it also, the cookies don't actually go into his mouth. They just kind of fall to the floor. Obviously, this is because he's a puppet. But if you think about it um, metaphorically, he's never really being satisfied by the cookies that he's eating. Um, And so we thought that this Cookie Monster was a good example because when we act on instinct without rational thought, um, we are like Cookie Cookie Monster and we're never going to be satisfied in the long run.
0: Excellent. Also, fun fact for you, Ms. Brunkhorst does a great Cookie Monster imitation. Ask her about it. Next up, we're going to talk about the moral conscience. The moral conscience is uh, what we people of faith uh, describe as our direct connection with God. We believe that within the depths of our hearts, we have uh, God letting us know what is right and what is wrong. And it's one of those uh, things, the more you use it, the louder it is. The less you use it, the more uh, quiet or distorted it becomes, and it's harder to listen to. The example we chose is from the dispatch song titled The General. In this song, there's a military general who on the night before a big battle has a revelation that it's an unjust war, not a war worth fighting. So this becomes a good example because he has this revelation about the battle uh, not being worth fighting, and he lets his soldiers go. He lets them know it's not a battle worth dying for. And he also realizes that the animal enemy are people, too, seeing the human dignity in the people that he was about to fight. And so he allows them to go home, spend time with their families, and to live a life that's worth living.
1: Thank you, Mr. Contreras. You're
0: welcome.
1: <clears throat> for the next part of our moral conscience, I'm going to talk about the superego. And the superego is the ego of someone else that's imposed on us, um, for our safety or to tell us what to do. Now, when you're a little kid or a baby, the superego is a necessary tool that we need um, to help keep us safe. But when we're older, when we're adults, if we let the superego dictate everything that we do, we're not really making that decision for ourselves. And um, we're not able to take ownership of our decisions. An example that we thought of for the superego is Mufasa, Simba's dad from The Lion King. Now, in the beginning of the movie, when Simba is a young kid, Mufasa tells him what to do, what not to do, where to go, where he shouldn't go, and Simba kind of resists this and doesn't like Mufasa telling him what to do. But when Simba is older and after his dad has died, he sees visions of Mufasa in the clouds, and he hears his dad speaking to him and telling him to return to his homeland and fulfill his duties as king. And we think that this is a good example because sometimes the superego is annoying to Simba when he's a kid, but then sometimes it's also helpful for him.
0: Thank you, Ms. Brontorst. Last part of the moral consciousness that we're going to be looking at is uh, what we call the ego The ego is your decision-making part of your mind. So once you have been informed by your conscience, by your id, and by your superego, it is the ego that makes the ultimate decision. It is the ego that allows you to uh, weigh the options and make that decision. The example that we want to use for this is from the 1997 banger by Usher called You Make Me Wanna. In this story, it's a classic, uh, in this song, it's a classic story of uh, a a young man who has a girlfriend, and secretly he's uh, thinking about a girl that is a friend who introduced the two of them, and he has to choose which one he actually wants to be with. The reason why we think this is a good example is because uh, in the song, he goes back and forth, trying to decide which is the best option. He weighs both the advantages and disadvantages of each potential decision and ultimately decides leaving uh, the girlfriend he doesn't love for the friend that he does love is the best decision. Mm,
1: Spoiler alert.
0: Spoiler alert. Thank you. So that wraps up our podcast. We thank you all for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Don't do that. Um, We'll uh, look forward to hearing your podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.